0: And welcome, it is the Magic Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. Monday, December 2nd. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We took a week off last week, but we do this thing every Monday. I look back, and I look forward for your Orlando Magic. And last week, Thanksgiving week, uh, the Magic trekking through the Midwest and obviously still trying to get healthy. Uh, so you start the week with a loss in Detroit. You get a W Wednesday against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and it was back home to see the Raptors on Friday night. And the Magic just cannot seem to get over the hump against that Raptors team. But right now, not many people can. The Raptors are one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. That's just the way we're going to have to put it. And eventually, we're going to start getting to the point where people are saying, you know what, maybe it wasn't just Kawhi Leonard uh, who made this a championship-level team uh, last season because the Raptors have, I honestly, they haven't missed a beat without Kawhi so far this year. And without Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka, they are still humming right along. So the Magic take the L there. And then last night at the Amway Center, the Golden State Warriors in. And this was a fascinating ball game because the Warriors, despite the fact that um, this is not the Golden State Warriors that we've grown to, to know and love uh, and or hate over the last couple of years, still a scrappy basketball team. And they still play smart and they still exercise Steve Kerr's system. And so it took some big plays down the stretch last night to get a W-100 to 96 the final score of the Magic move to 8-11 and on the year. What can you say about Evan Fournier? He was phenomenal. 32 points uh, on 13 of 22 shooting. He was very efficient. Excuse me, 13 of 21 shooting. He was very efficient, and you're going to get these big nights from Evan where he gets up over 25, 30 points, but on 13 of 21 shooting and 6 of 10 from 3-point range, the efficiency is what jumps out at you, and it's what jumped out at Steve Clifford as well. Great play.
1: No, no, great play. I mean, listen, he... You know, he's not just scoring, he's scoring efficiently. And uh, 32 points on uh, 21 shots is that's efficient offense, you know?
0: And then we got to talk about Markel Fultz. 14 points, nine assists last night, zero turnovers. He was 6 12 from the field. Uh, he's coming, and he's he's still checking those boxes. Uh, it'll be game number twenty for him on Tuesday night in Washington D.C., which will be the most games he's played in his NBA career in a single season. So he just keeps humming along. He's starting to gain confidence, and. The confidence thing is scary for the rest of the league. Listen to what he had to say last night. I think you can read into this a little bit.
1: Man, I ain't really got too much to say for all the people that doubted me and stuff like that. I mean, I let my game do the talking, and I think it's it just steady showing, you know, and I just worry about myself and this team, and I always knew I could do this stuff, you know. It was just a matter of getting you know healthy and doing what I had to do, but um, it feels great, you know, just to see all the people that was talking being quiet now. So it's just like, you know, just keep working and keep doing what you're doing.
0: Love hearing that from Markel Fultz. He deserves to say something like that. And even still, you know, he basically said, I don't have anything to say for all the people who had a lot to say through my first two seasons in the league. I'm just going to let my play do the talking. Focus on me and my team. And that's what you love to hear as a Magic fan. And Markel's been outstanding over the last couple of games. So certainly exciting to see him. And and look, Mo Bamba, I think, has taken advantage of the opportunity with Nick Vucevic down And we know what Jonathan Isaac's doing at five more blocks last night. So you start to spin it forward and you think about what two, three years from now this Magic team could look like with Fultz, with Isaac, with Bamba, and some of the young talent they have in place. And it could be scary. Um, it, it's going to be a whole lot of fun the next couple years watching these guys develop together and if their trajectory stays firm uh, for all three of those guys, uh, the rest of the league is going to be in trouble. I think or at the very least the Magic are going to be in good hands uh, with some of the young talent they have. So exciting to see Markel Fultz taking off exciting to see Evan Fournier coming through and Terrence Ross was huge last night as well. A couple big shots late including this one. Fournier going for a 7-3 didn't go. The rebound though. Burt stick back nope. Got it back again. Out to Ross. Ella and gun for three, boom, he got it! Magic lead, 93-89, just like that. Great offensive rebound by Burtz, and he kicked it out. And our man Ross has been shooting it well, great second shot opportunity and he buried it. What a timely shot that was. So the Magic 8 and 11 and now you're out on the road to see the Washington Wizards tomorrow night. We remember what happened last time we saw the Wizards. Brad Beal exploded in the fourth quarter. The Wizards exploded in the fourth quarter of that game. They scored 44 points in the fourth of that game. The Magic were able to hold them off Um, and this is a very important stretch right now for the Magic because it gets very difficult later in the month of December. You got a big trip out west. You got a, a Couple tough games next week. The Lakers and the uh, Houston Rockets in. Uh, You got the Milwaukee Bucks next week. I mean, next week, Milwaukee, LA, Houston. That's absolutely brutal. So you got to stack a couple W's, if at all possible, right now. You got the Wizards tomorrow night, the Phoenix Suns on Wednesday, and then it's up to Cleveland on Friday to see the Cavaliers again. So this could be a good week for the Magic, and hopefully. By the end of this week, you're sitting at 11-11 and 11 because that would be ideal um, with that tall task of uh, just a brutal week next week, looking you square in the eye. The Magic in Washington Tuesday night to see the Wizards. It'll be back home Wednesday for the Suns at Amway Center. And to give us a little insight on those Phoenix Suns, we head to the hotline for a chat with Gina Mizell. She's the Suns' beat reporter for The Athletic Arizona, and she's on Twitter at Gina Mizell. That's M-I-Z-E-L-L. Gina, how are you? Thanks for taking a couple minutes. I appreciate it. No problem. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Uh, the Suns, I, I'm so fascinated by the Phoenix Suns this season, Gina. Eight and ten. That's a good thing, I would think, for Suns fans and, and, and for people invested in this team. Losing six of seven uh, over the past seven games. Probably not so much. Tell me about the hot start to the season, and then tell me what, sort of what's gone wrong these last seven games.
1: Yeah, well, obviously, through the first couple weeks of the season, um, the Suns were kind of the surprise team of the NBA. I mean, I, I think most people thought they'd be better with the, the vast majority, like big range of roster moves that they had made over the summer with you know signing Ricky Rubio and bringing in guys like Aaron Baines and Dario Saric. Um, but I don't think people would, ex- would have expected them to be quite as good as they were right off the top because not only did they have a good record, but they – beat the Clippers, they beat the Sixers, um, they hung tough with Denver and Denver and Utah and just like played a really tough schedule right out of the gate. But um, the sort of the, the biggest thing, and I hate to use the injury cliche to, to describe why they've lost six of seven, but um, they lost Ricky Rubio and Aaron Baines for about a week um, and they were in a tough stretch of where they played five games and seven nights. They had two back-to-backs in one week and just was a, a really hard time to lose two of your starters and two of your key players and so you compound that with the fact that DeAndre Ayton has been suspended for um, all but one game to start the season because of um, violating the anti-drug policy Um, that just was kind of too much to sustain I think or too much to absorb for this team so um, yeah they sit at eight and ten right now this is kind of their first long road trip of the season that starts in in Charlotte on Monday night and then continues in Orlando so I'm really fascinated to see how this team handles their first, you know, kind of extended time away from home. Um, Rubio and Baines are both back, um, but still kind of, you can, you can see, are still kind of trying to get back into game shape and to get that rhythm and chemistry back. But, yeah, that's kind of the rundown of how this season has gone so far. But it's been a really interesting, you know, first month and first kind of 20-game slot for this team just because, yeah, they, they have exceeded expectations.
0: Is there, I've I've read, and I'm not sure if this is, you know, something just being floated around or if it, if there's validity to it, uh, is there a thought that Ayton might not start or might not reclaim the starting center spot when he comes back?
1: Yeah, I think that's an interesting um, conundrum for Monty Williams, just because Aaron Baines has played so well in um, stepping into that starting spot. He's putting up career numbers, both you know, scoring, um, just uh, his three-point shooting has been kind of a revelation uh, this season. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, ultimately I would expect Ayton to reclaim that starting spot, but I think certainly you want to create some sort of competition and some sort of sense of hey you sort of this is a self-inflicted reason why you've been out for 25 games and you got to reclaim your spot back so um yeah Aiton still he's able to travel he's able to practice with the team he's just not able to be with them obviously at the arena for those few hours on a a game night but it is going to be interesting to see how he sort of reintegrates himself how Monty Williams sort of then tinkers with the rotation once he comes back and and yeah, you think 25 games is a long time, but we're coming up. It's uh, less than three weeks now until he he gets back. So it's going to be again interesting to see what um, how how kind of the roster all fits together once Aiton is back in the fold.
0: Gina Mizell with me from the Athletic Arizona, talking Suns, the Magic, and the Suns Wednesday night at Amway Center. So much has made, Gina, of of culture changers, and and obviously Monty Williams. I, I I'm a huge fan, and I've been a huge fan going back to the New Orleans days. I think I think you can give probably a whole lot of the credit to him, but some of the players that they, that they brought in and that we've discussed between Rubio and Baines, you know, maybe Booker making that next step. It just feels like, and, and Jeff Bauer deserves a lot of credit as well. It just feels like they got the right people in the right places, and and that's not just on the floor; that's probably in the locker room as well. Is it as simple as Monty Williams came in here and everything you know made a one eighty, or do you have to sort of divvy up uh, the credit for for this turnaround?
1: Well, I think you do have to start with that. You know, leadership trickles from the top down. So, you know, Monty Williams coming in here, um, I it, it's crazy. Just uh, he's obviously had such a, a wide ranging NBA career, yeah. like going back to his time as a player and then obviously as a coach. And I mean, anybody who's ever come into contact with him, whether they played together or they coached together or a player that's been coached by him. I mean, he might be one of the most well-respected men in the NBA. Like, just everybody just braves about him, whoever has worked with him in some capacity. And, and just his presence, um, just the way he, he, he talks, like, so calmly but talks with a purpose, even when he's, you know, talking with us after practice. And you can just see that that has a big impact on, on the players. And then certainly, you know, what he's gone through um, in his personal life, I think uh, just people have an automatic just respect for what he's gone through as a human being and his, you know, just his decision to come back to coaching and, and just his perspective on, on life, I think, is really resonates with guys. And then, yeah, when, when they rebuilt this roster, um, there were eight new players on this team um, coming into the season. And, and they really, it sounds cliche again, but they started with, okay, let's get some good, solid pros here, mm. in here. I mean, this is a roster that had been, so built on potential and high draft picks and guys who were great athletes, but not necessarily polished players. And, and they sort of completely flipped that on its head and said, Hey, let's get guys who have proven skill sets who are good people, who are hard workers, who have been part of winning, you know, programs, whether it was in college or in their NBA career so far. And yeah, you can see that in guys like Rubio and Baines and Starich, and then even going down the line of guys that they drafted, I mean, the Cam Johnson pick um, in the first round was pretty um, highly maligned, um, but he's a guy who is a great shooter, obviously, and is a little bit of an older rookie. And you know, maybe his ceiling isn't as high, but his floor is definitely higher. Um, Ty Jerome, another guy that uh, it, it could be playing by the time these two teams face off. This week, he's been out all season with a strained ankle, but is getting ready to come back. Same thing, you know, won a national championship at Virginia and just is is known as as a solid, solid, solid player. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of has been their approach. And I do think it starts with Monty Williams and then very deliberately the guys that they brought in here um, were, were players that they thought could help, you know, both culture wise and then just had kind of defined. Skill sets that they knew could could fit together in some way, and and yeah, like I said, when the whole whole roster was available, or at least everybody but Aiton, um it, it has clicked pretty well so far.
0: I want to go back to what you said about Monty because going back to you know a, a, me being an intern and shoving a microphone in his face. And, and this is before all of the personal issues, which I think obviously sort of heightens the respect that people have for him. Uh, personal issues is a bad way to put it. The man lived through something that's unimaginable, and has, yeah. and he does have a very unique perspective on it. And he's willing to share his story, and I and I think that's really powerful. But I also think he he does. It, it, there's some sort of it's. I don't know if it's. A genuineness. There's something about him that, when you're listening to him speak, you just believe what he's saying, and that's not. That's really, really rare, especially with an NBA head coach. Especially when you're talking about, uh, you know, interactions like a uh, like a media scrum. Can you can you elaborate on that uh, about what seems to make him special and how people relate and react to him? Both players, media. I mean, top to bottom, everybody has this sort of same respect for him.
1: Yeah, I think you said the correct word. It's just he comes across as so genuine and you you do believe everything that he says or just that um, the approach that he's trying to take in building the culture of the program and his philosophies, both on the floor and off the floor, um, you know, seem to just all it all lines up. And, and again, I can if he's having that effect on me as well. Again, I'm talking to him for 10 minutes after practice. Right. Like I can only imagine what it's like in a locker room or when he's meeting with players one-on-one or meeting with his staff. No, there's just this kind of presence that, that comes out of him that... Um, I think just kind of commands that respect and and you know he's the guy that he's come up with these you know core values that are plastered all over the the facility and and you know some of them are basketball related like share the ball and defend and play hard and and uh, things that that you would expect you know for for a team especially a team that's trying to rebuild but other ones are like you know show up on time and, and practicing gratitude and just things like that they're like that is a good daily reminder to <laughs> you know, appreciate where where you are. And, and that, yeah, it's like all those guys are in the NBA and, like, don't forget that. And, and he's got, you know, some phrases that, uh, you know, like this is a get-to, not a got-to. Like we get to play, not that we have to play. Mm. And, and and some of those things, like they could sound cheesy, I think, coming from another coach, but, but from him it's like, yeah, this is kind of very simple, you know, keeping perspective. And, and like you said, I think a lot of that does stem from, you know who he is, and then also just everything again that he's gone through in his life that I think people really relate to and really respect. So no, I think um, it's been really, really fascinating to see just how the team has responded to his teachings. Um, and you can certainly see, like just again in the in the the time that we get to spend with him, on, you know, at practices and games and stuff, you can see why his
0: leadership really, really resonates. Talking sons here with Gina Mazel from the Athletic, uh, Arizona. Tell me about Rubio. And tell me about Booker and sort of that relationship. It it feels like, I think Devin Booker was very, very unfairly maligned early on in his career. Like, he's a really good player, and he probably wasn't good enough to carry a team to the postseason. In fact, we know he wasn't uh, early on in his career, but he's still so young. He was, what, the youngest kid in the draft when he came out. Um, Still a whole lot of upside there, but it does feel like maybe Ricky Rubio was the right player to put next to him in that backcourt. How have you seen that? Um, kind of develop? How has Rubio been so far, and, and what are you seeing from Booker that might be different from earlier in his career?
1: Yeah, well, I think just Ricky's been the guy who can get Booker the ball in the right spot.
0: Yeah.
1: It's just, I mean, the, the point guard issues here have been well documented uh, over the past you know, season, for sure the past full season previously, but even dating back a little bit further, they went from having too many point guards to having no point guards. Um, and so, yeah, I think just the, his ability to read the defense and, like I said, get the ball to Booker, whether it's on, you know, a catch and shoot opportunity or just the ball in the right spot to operate and, and get a really good shot, I think, is really shown through. And Through, like, the first 13 games of the season, Booker was not only a 50-40-90 shooter, but he was a 50-50-90 shooter. He was shooting 50% from three-point range, which is really hard to do, even though it's a small sample size, but still through 13 games. So, those percentages have dipped a little bit over the past few games, and again, I think a lot of that is because Rubio has been out, and Booker has kind of had to go back a little bit to um, just, uh, go, you know, kind of, the, the, we saw shades of Booker from previous seasons where he kind of had to dominate the ball and try to do some things himself and, and really, you know, carry this team like you mentioned but now that rubio's back um again curious to see just how the the chemistry continues to work with those two players but monty has installed this uh it's called the 0.5 offense where it's so predicated on ball movement that you you have 0.5 seconds to decide if you're going to pass shoot or drive and so that encourages they want to pass the ball 300 times a game um just really have quick decision making you know trust yourself trust your teammates trust that the right cuts are going to be there trust that the right shots are going to be there and so yeah that really um it worked really really well when everybody was healthy and and at the start of the season and you know kind of hit a little bit of a roadblock with i think both injuries and and teams knowing how to game plan for them now and so again this is kind of the next evolution and okay how do you adjust again and so that's going to be um Something to watch for sure, but no. Rubio's made a, a terrific impact on this team just because of his ability to see the floor. He's so savvy in the way he distributes, and he can defend a little bit on the perimeter as well. So no, definitely a, a solid addition compared to um, the point guard options they've had here in the past.
0: What's what is it about the Suns and offenses based on units of measurement? Like it's either seven seconds or less, or or 0.5 mm-hmm. seconds. I don't understand. Is that is that just a coincidence? Is it is it right, yeah, does no, it have to I do with with uh, does it have to do with daylight saving? Time is not Arizona unique in that in that regard as well. Yes. Maybe it's uh, maybe that's what's going on.
1: Right? Yeah, I like to <laughs> say that we're the only state that actually does it correctly, and okay. that we never change our clocks, so we never have to worry about it. But um, yeah, <laughs> it is. It is kind of funny how we went from yeah the fast pace seven seconds or less to a different type of fast pace, but still, it's it's you know it's it's the modern NBA as far as really relying on body movement and ball movement, that's just the way that they, you know, sort of coin the phrase or describe it so that people can understand it, I
0: suppose. Absolutely. Tell me about Baines. I covered him uh, for two seasons in Detroit. Um, He's an interesting guy. Uh, You know, he's obviously a, a hard worker and you can see that from the improvement over the course of his career and there was always something in there. I do think you know, between Detroit and Boston, he shaved about 15-20 pounds, and it made him and he was always good in pick and roll defense, but it made him a little bit lighter on his feet. And then when he added that jumper, he really became almost your ideal, maybe not starting center, your ideal maybe, you know, backup, let's say twenty five to thirty minute a night, not quite a backup, but he is a really, really good solid center in this league. And he's a really good starting center, I should say. um, he's capable of playing that role. But once the jumper came, I think it, Um, It really sort of put him over the top. He's been outstanding so far, hasn't
1: he? Yeah, he's been awesome, and and I I wrote a, a pretty big profile on him a couple weeks ago, and it was just really fun to sort of learn about his past and and you know calling people from Australia who worked with him when he was a kid and and he was just he's the definition of like a late bloomer and a journeyman like you said where he didn't really start playing basketball until he was a teenager and then you know obviously gets discovered by Washington State and and then has to go to Europe for a couple of years and then finally gets his NBA shot with uh, with the San Antonio and kind of you know bounced around but you're right I mean he he's always brought that that toughness and that physicality and just that that hard-working attitude like you mentioned and and then just really refining a skill set whether it's you know having a jump hook in both hands whether it's developing that three-point shot which um, he credits Brad Stevens to really giving him the confidence to shoot that shot and yeah just kind of having you know his assist numbers are are pretty good for a big man this year and he's really I mean there was a period of time where again this is no disrespect to DeAndre Ayton but you almost forgot that he was on this roster because Baines is playing so well right. and, and and so that's again that's a credit to to his own development um the places he's been before that have really helped him and and yeah he's been a really really solid player for this team and, and a solid guy in the locker room too he's kind of the guy that's always, Sort of um you know, regurgitating what Monty Williams is saying as far as you know sticking to the system and and playing the right way and so again, if he's saying that to us, you know that that's what he's um the message he's delivering to his teammates as well so no, he's kind of he's the oldest guy on the roster um he has obviously gone through a lot in his career as far as his experiences, and I think that's again paying dividends for for this team, and they really needed him, so he st- certainly stepped up.
0: Gina, it says on your Twitter profile you are an Arizona State grad. Does that mean you are an Arizona State football fan?
1: Of course, yeah. I was at the game on Saturday, absolutely.
0: Well, you are the rumors true that Hugh – I'm from Cleveland originally, and okay. the rumors are that Hugh Jackson is going to be joining the Arizona State staff, and I just want to warn you now, if that happens, you have to stop rooting for that team.
1: <laughs>
0: for, to, I'm trying to protect you, Gina. <laughs>
1: rumors. Yeah, no, I've seen I've seen the rumors, um, or at least the I don't even want to call them rumors because it's, it's you know good reporting by yes. people in that in that market and nationally that he's the candidate for that job. Um, but yeah, that would um, that would sort of fall in line with the the quote unquote NFL model where Marvin Lewis is on staff now as an analyst, obviously, and his NFL background, and then yeah, Hugh Jackson. Um, that would it would be in a very interesting hire. Um, they've obviously got a great. Young quarterback in Jaden Daniels, and so I think, um, they, they got to get somebody who can can help him develop. So, um, yeah, very fascinated to see where they go with that decision making.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously based on the Browns and the, se- the way the season has gone, Hugh Jackson was the uh, sole source of all the problems uh, with the Cleveland Browns yeah. organization. Yeah, I- yeah, there there is
1: <laughs> no dysfunction in any other areas of that organization. <laughs> no, past, no. Like, you know, 20 years. <laughs>
0: not at all, not at all. I'll just say this, best of luck with all of that. Uh, and I appreciate a couple minutes. She's Gina Mizell. <laughs> Make sure you follow her on Twitter, at Gina Mizell, M-I-Z Z E L L Suns beat reporter for the Athletic Arizona. She does a phenomenal job, uh, and I appreciate a couple minutes, Gina. All
1: right, no problem. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, thank you so much, uh, Jake Chapman. Here with you. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jake Chapman O M. Uh, right here on the Magic Weekly podcast. We're back next week. Have a great week, everybody.